0: And it don't work. But I love the hanging baskets and what happens to them when they overgrow and they spill out over the baskets and, and stream down. And particularly when you've got a tier of baskets, one kind of feeds the other, it tears the other. Reminds me of the living word of God that we are like his hanging baskets in this world of ours. And we need to be watered daily. Daily. Water daily, otherwise we will die. And that watering is the living word of God. And because he is the water of life, he feeds us. He waters us when we are ready, when we're open. And the water that fills us is bountiful and it's more than we need. And from the watering, there is an overflow that feeds others. And so every one of us this morning, we are filled to overflowing so that we might feed others. That is the power and the presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, where his glory in this world of ours, where his shining, colorful glory, and he waters us for one another. There's nothing worse than a dried out basket Is there? And they were once, you can see, they were once alive, but now they're just lying limp and almost dead and desperate for water. That could be a picture of the church if we don't go to that water of life and refresh ourselves. I was with um, a gentleman this week who... um, I was invited to see him and talk with him, with another person. And I spent probably two, two and a half hours with this person. Met and had a little bite to eat and so on. And he told me his story. And it was the most complex story. And once I asked this guy his story, he told me his story for the best part of those two and a half hours. (laughs) And I couldn't get him off his story. And at the end of his story, his questioned to me, well, what do you do? Well, I said, "Well, it's a bit late for that. No, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> what do I do? But he just wouldn't stop telling me stories and his journeys all around the world and what he does and what he's going to do and ideas for the future and all the rest of it. And I told him, there was a minister... in in, in the church. So he wanted to know what the church was. And I said, well, he'd understand Anglican, maybe. Uh, Would he understand Evangelical? Uh, This guy who's travelled everywhere with all the possibilities, uh, seemingly so resourced, knows everybody. How can I... I'm a Pentecostal minister. Pentecostal says, what's that? And so now I'm thinking, well, I can't give a theological discourse... Right now, on what a Pentecostal minister is. Like everybody else in a minister and I I talked about the work of the church for a minute or two. And then I said, Well, let me put it like this. We're people who believe the Bible as the word of God. And that is our source and our life. It's our beginning and our end. He says, Well, I don't believe in dogma. Don't you? I said. Well, what about your dogma? Says I. Everybody's got dogma. You build your life on some dogma and you've just told them the story of what your dogma is, what's formed you, what's made your decision-making process through life and daddy-dare and wife and children and everything else. And, and, and you just, you're, you're based, are you based on a dogma? Things are fixed points in your life? Well, this is, I suppose so. I said, well, why is it falling apart then? Your dogma doesn't seem to be doing a lot of good. And I said, I have a dogma, but it's not mine. I said, my dogma's God's. He's the builder. He's the architect. He shows us the way. He's our decision-making. He's our, and we build on him. And I said, it's like an architect that designs and builds, and I said, but you right now, you're your own architect, and you're your own builder, but I'll tell you this, this happens to nearly all of us, and I think this is happening to you, after the many years of building, 50 years of building, you're standing back, and looking at what you've built, and you decided it's, it's just rubble, and it's not fit for purpose, and you wanted to be out of it. I said, and that happens to us. We look back, we'd never built before. I said, it's like me, that somebody delivered me a pile of stones and I decide I'll build a house with them. But I've never built a house before. But I do know that I can mix some cement, and so I'll pick one stone, mix some cement, and put another one on top of it, and try and build. But I haven't got a plan. I don't know about stresses and strains. I haven't got an architect at work. I'm my own architect. And so I'm just building. I'm not sure where the windows are going to go, and where the door's going to go, and what materials I'm going to use. I just start building. Little wonder, and this would definitely happen to me, I would stand back, and I'd say, I've got this high, and that's it. I don't know what to do now. And I said, and that's exactly where you found yourself. This high, and you don't know where to go now. And what you see, you don't like anyway. He says, well, I never thought about that. That's, that's interesting. And so I thought, God, what am I going to say more than this? And time had gone, and I said, it's time to go home. And I came home. A man I was talking to was so full of himself but so empty, so empty. And there before him, the living water of life. But he said, I live without dogma, the way of God. Last week or a few weeks ago, I was looking at Psalm 90, or I arrived in my message at Psalm 90. And I read these words. Let me remind you of just a verse. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And that struck a chord with me. And that leads me to the next psalm, which is Psalm 91. And Psalm 91 is supposedly written by Moses, but they reckon Psalm 90 was. Maybe the two were. And these were songs to the glory of God. And these were songs that they would sing. Let me read Psalm 91 to you. Uh, and I'll read the whole psalm, I think. But here it goes The Word of God, the Word of God, the living Word of God. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And surely, He will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by the day, or the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or the plague that destroys at midday. A 1,000 may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You'll tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, then I will rescue him. And I will protect him from the, uh, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. 3,500 years old, this truth and this truth stands as firm today as ever it was when it was first revealed 3500 years a german theologian said this he said he who cannot draw he who cannot draw on 3000 years is today living hand to mouth. And all I want to say is, modern is good, but the word of God is old, but yet it's ever new. And traditions that have been handed down to us, and the truths of God have been handed down to us, by mouth, by revelation, by preaching, I sing in the word of God, it's alive, it's living. And we must respect and acknowledge our forefathers and all that has gone on. And the history of the Word of God and the truth of God and all that God had done for the state of Israel and His workings in the world and in our world and in our generation, we need to be looking back. We don't need to. Do you, do you remember when antiques were expensive? We held on to antiques, thinking they were going to go up and up and up in price. When all of a sudden our society got modern, because IKEA came. And we started chucking out all the antiques and buying I- Ikea. And we go modern and modern with it, with all our colours and everything. And now, you can go to second-hand shops and buy what were once antiques for nearly nothing. I mean, they're virtually worthless. Even, we have so many antique um, programmes on television, they're still pretty much, I can't believe how cheap antiques are. They've been dished. It represents the past And it is a perilous thing to do is to ignore our past and to dish it all for a modern future. We carry the past. The great hymns that we've been brought up on are magnificent in their theology. And the point that they're making, where have the great hymns that we used to sing of Wesley, where have they gone? What have you exchanged them for? And I love some of the modern hymns, but why do we, uh, songs, why do we dish them so quickly? Because some of the great chorus singing from times past absolutely vibrate with the presence of God. And before in my church, I I used to play all great songs and hymns and going on. And and, and, uh, there's one choir I love, it's called the, uh, uh, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And it is magnificent. There's a whole church of thousands in Brooklyn that was formed on uh, ex-prostitutes, addicts, and so on. And it has grown and grown and grown. And have this vast choir made of people who have met the salvation of God. And when they sing, I mean, it's known worldwide. It is magnificent. And I listen to their singing, and it is great. And I was playing it as people are coming in. And somebody came to me, who should know better, and said, why are we listening to that old-fashioned rubbish? And I was thinking it was wonderful. Because the truth of it, and everything it meant was resonating in my spirit. All I want to say, don't dish the past. Let's refresh it in the future. Well now, Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Whoever dwells, whoever dwells, here it is, this word of God, this gospel of Jesus Christ Is for the whosoever. Whosoever. And it says in the Bible this everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know that. And has that ever changed? Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What's my job? My job is to get people to call on the whosoever. The whosoever to call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever calls upon him will be saved. This is amazing. We are not a select group. We're here for the whosoever. Again in Romans 10 and 13, it tells us. What about John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a chance for your family. There's a chance for your children. There's a chance for your parents. There's a chance for your grandparents. There's a chance for your neighbors. Whosoever. What a glorious gospel. And here he begins. Whosoever dwells. dwells whosoever dwells that's a great word dwells this is what dwell means it doesn't mean visitor it doesn't mean whosoever flirts with it doesn't mean whoever gets a religious buzz it doesn't mean somebody who just wants to be decent and belong to church it's Whosoever dwells, that word dwell means this, permanent dwelling, sits down, stays to stay in presence. Whoever dwells in a permanent place, I was saying last time, I've got a permanent place in Cheddar. That's where I live. That's my permanent place. I've also got other permanent places. When I was pastor up in Cheltenham, I used to go on the hills around Cheltenham. And that's the only place I could really pray. And I used to get on top of the hills and I could see all Cheltenham below me. And I used to pray and do spiritual warfare and walk with God. It was wonderful. That was my Bethel. We got a Bethel here, and it's down on the on the Mendips at uh, Quantox, and I go to it's a little chapel. Nobody else goes, and I sit in there, Sue and I, and the glory of God comes. The glory of God. It's my permanent place. If I could build a house there, I would. I've told Sue, and I've also discussed the with with the Canon. I want my ashes scattering in my little place, that chapel. Apparently it's against the law, I can't do it. But I said, I can. There's nothing to stop my wife with the flask coming and sitting on this bench and just dropping them on there. It, Who'd know? Who'd know? He says, Well, nobody would know. I said, but it's against Anglican law. You can't do it, really. Oh well, I'm gonna do it. The permanent place is nothing to do with buildings. The permanent place is something that I take with me everywhere. Hey, listen to this. We work here. A lot of the work here is done with the homeless and those looking for a refuge. But can I tell you that every one of us is homeless? We may have nice houses, we may have large houses, small houses, we may be in a caravan, it doesn't matter. We don't have a home on planet earth, that's biblical. You don't have a house, you've got a shelter here, but you haven't got a house. You only dwell in one place, and that is not in a house of bricks and mortar, you dwell in In the shelter of the Most High. Your home is in the presence of God. You sit in the presence of God. You abide in the presence of God. You stay in the presence of God. You cannot go in and out of the presence of God. Easily. Your home is not the presence of God. A supermarket is not the presence of God. We don't live here in this building. The presence of God is here. 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 And not every believer realizes that. Is the presence of God your dwelling place? Is this where you sit down. And there's one translation calls it the secret place. The dwelling place is your secret place. Not everybody knows where it is. Not everybody can find it easily. It's your secret place. Do you know what it is? Have you got it? Because the secret place, listen to this, is the place of the most high we say well the most high goes with me everywhere you know whatever in the supermarket whatever it is I got God can find me anywhere 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 I don't have to be in church I don't have to be in the secret place goes with you but you've got to know that secret place because that's where he dwells it is not a casual place I used to fly a lot some years ago and I mean a lot and I got uh, had an executive place with British Airways you can't get them now I think they cost you money I don't know but for some reason they gave me this this pass and I would go to the airport say down in um, Heathrow and uh, going to Heathrow and going with the crowd, I'd queue up with the crowd, follow the crowd in, go to check-in with the crowd. And as soon as I got through check-in, I became an individual person because I was given access to the executive lounge. And I would go upstairs to the executive lounge, and it was posh. And in that executive lounge, they would treat me like an executive. When I went to the executive lounge, the food was not the food that you get anywhere else. It was beautiful. And people would come to me and say, can we help you this? Can we give you this? And I would sit there until it was ready for my plane to go and everybody else had got on or whatever or or I could get on before them. I just take my own time and I get on. And that was my secret place because I hate journeying, I hate travelling, but for some reason I ended up with this special pass. I have a special pass into the secret place of God. It's his secret place that he doesn't share with everyone, only his children. And that secret place Is amazing. It's a place of the most high, it says in the Bible. An exalted place, a place of rule, a place of authority. And there you rest in his shadow, in the shade, the Bible says. And that shade means his protection. Now, we've had all our children over from South Africa Trans South Africa. They live in different places with us for a month. Five of them it makes eight of us in one house. Seven. Twenty-seven. Did you say? Because that's what it felt like. All seven of them. Then, yes. She Teachers, you she can count. Seven. But it's rained every day in England. And what they said is, oh, England, it rains every day in England. And it did, for every day. And then the day they go, the sun comes out. (laughs) Brilliant. But they travelled all the way back to South Africa, meeting all the travel problems that they had, and they're carrying five surfboards, and they wouldn't let them on, and visas and things, and they had some trouble getting there. But they travelled all day, and they got to South Africa. And then I got the phone call and a photograph of, look at the sunshine here, it's brilliant. Brilliant. And, and I was talking to my daughter last night. She came around with the children. And I said, look at the photograph here. Be- beautiful blue sky. She said, oh, I'd love to be there. I said, do you know why I would not? I love the rain. I mean, what, what is better than the rain? And I, I quite dislike the sunshine. It's all right for a bit. But, but if it comes out and I'm walking through wells, I will cross the road into the shade. And I'll walk on the shady side, not the sunny side, because I, it burns my head, you know. And I can't wear a hat because Sue says I look ridiculous in hats, uh, you know. And I, I get in the shade. And when I sit out in the back garden and we're wear an umbrella, I'll sit under the umbrella. I'll sit in the shade. I won't sit in the glaring sun. And there's something about this the glaring brightness of the presence of God is so great that you cannot take it. And the harshness of life is so great, you cannot take it. And the hardness and the despair and the cynicism and the criticism and the disappointments of life, we cannot take it. But in his place where we dwell, we can rest in the shadow of his presence. But his brightness will kill us. But we rest in the shadow of his presence. In fact, we experience in that place a word called the Shekinah. Glory of God that is called the Shekinah. Shekinah is amazing. And let me just point this out to you. Moses who penned this psalm probably, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of the meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting just outside the camp. But whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood At the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent of the meeting. And as Moses went in the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood. And they all worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead this people. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. So he said, I know you by name. And you have found favour with me. And if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways then. So that I may know and continue to find favour with you. Remember God, this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Experience the kind of glory of God the pillar of God's presence, you will experience rest for the first time in your life in his presence when all the anxiety and uncertainties and stresses and strains of life, you then will be in the shadow of his glory and they will fall away. You will know God in a different way. Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. We need your presence. We need your Shekinah glory. And the Shekinah glory shown throughout the Bible when the glory of God comes down and people cannot stand in the temple and they fall as though dead before him. It's magnificence. Now he is saying that you, you me, you can dwell in the shelter of the most high and rest in the shadow of the almighty. Great name of God. The Shekinah glory will become your dwelling place. And I want to tell you this, Shekinah will not leave you because one day, permanently, you will be in it. Heaven. Heaven. Permanently, you will be in the Shekinah. But you can have taste of the Shekinah glory now. You can rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The Shekinah... The controlling guide in our lives, in our gatherings, in our directions, in our encounters, in our choices, in our problems, in our provision, in our rescue, dwell in the shelter of the Most High and rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That is our calling. And this is the word of God. It's not for Moses just or his people. It's a living reality and experience for you and I now. We can achieve that. We need to begin to dwell. We are the whosoever, but we need to dwell in God's presence. Amen.